powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline from NFL Network is Mark Ross. Mark, how's it going? Wonderful. Just ready for uh, ready for Sunday. Let's go. I am so excited. And I know that as someone covering the Seahawks, a lot of listeners are not rooting for the 49ers, maybe aren't excited to see San Francisco in a Super Bowl. <laughs> but, oh, my God, the storylines in this one. What one are you most interested in, Mark? Oh, there's so, ma- so many. We've talked about them all week long. But, um, you know, to me, it's Mahomes and his legacy and just if he can take another step to that GOAT status and – Either just just racking up rings is pretty much what it is for him. You know, he may never get to Brady's seven, but you know, just just the eye test. You, know, you look at the goat talk in two different ways. It's the the rings, and then it's the eye test of what you see. And to me, the eye test is clear that Mahomes is the goat. Just what he does, no one has ever really done before. And it's just how many rings he can rack up here, and this will just put him at another step. When he beat Baltimore, that kind of showed just you know, how great he was with that cast of characters he's got on offense with him, <laughs> just raising the level. So to me, that's the most intriguing part of it. You talk about racking up rings, and if Patrick Mahomes wins his third, that means Andy Reid wins his third. Uh, if mm-hmm. another, if Reid gets another Super Bowl win, Mark, where does that put him on the pantheon of great NFL head coaches? Well, you know, of course, there's only, you know, Landry and 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 um, and, and uh, Noel and Belichick with, with the multiples and all that. So, you know, I've said this even before Andy won this set, and I work with Andy for seven years, so I may be a little biased, but that he's the greatest coach of his generation just because he's done it with multiple teams. He's the all-time winningest coach with two different teams. This is He's been to five Super Bowls. If he wins this one, he's won three. You know, Belichick won six. But, of course, we know what happened with Belichick after Tom Brady left, and so you have to look at it like that, whereas Andy – Okay, Philly's done. I'm done with that era. Let me go somewhere else and get even better and just start collecting, you know, trophies. So for me, Andy will be the greatest coach of his generation. And he says he's not stopping. If he keeps going and he's got Mahomes, just like I talked about Mahomes collecting, if he keeps going, he could end up being the best of all time. And, uh, you know, I think he, he wants to keep doing it. I mean, they, they, they keep innovating, they keep finding ways. And, uh, you know, he's got to be, he's in the conversation now. He wins this one. You got to even put up, up higher on the list. It feels like, though, Mark, maybe no one's under more pressure to win than Kyle Shanahan. Talk about what this win or loss could mean for his legacy. Yeah, it's always the question until you do it, right? It's right. always, can they, you know, that was Lamar this year. Lamar's MVP, crushing it, best team in the league. He doesn't do it. So now we're going to hear more Lamar questions. Can he do it next season? Same with Josh Allen. And coaches face the same scrutiny. And despite the winning in the regular season, how great they've been and the innovation and finding ways with Shanahan, it's, they haven't done it. And until he does it, they, there will be those questions for him, no matter how many division titles he gets, no matter how many Super Bowl appearances, you know, that he has to win it. And it was almost like Andy, you know, before he won one, it was like, can this guy do it? And, you know, it's silly that we got, I was a part of three NFC championship games. They went to a couple more. They went to the Super Bowl and, you know, can the guy do it until he did it? there will be those questions. So, of course, that will cement his legacy, and he'll be put even a higher rarefied air of top two or three great best coaches coaching right now. But, uh, you know, so a lot on the line for him as well. 
Mark, when I look at the great quarterbacks that are playing today, so many of them don't have rings because they've happened to play at the same time as Tom Brady and, and Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And it kind of reminds me of, of like the NBA in the 90s where you had guys like Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley and John Stockton, Carl Malone, all these guys finishing their careers without a championship ring. Do you kind of get that sense maybe with, with some of these quarterbacks in the AFC right now? Uh, you know, we're still early on in like Joe Burrow and Josh Allen's careers, but uh, they're playing at a time where you've got, you know, you have the GOAT uh, quarterback retired prior to this season, and then he's kind of passed the torch to Patrick Mahomes. It feels like there's not going to be many opportunities for these guys to win rings in the future. I know, right? You, you gotta, you gotta get it. The strike while you can, and um, talk about Jordan. And those years he retired, and Houston came in there with a lot of one. He's the second best player in the league, becomes the best. Then they win it. Okay, Jordan's back. Okay, get out the way. I'm back again. So it's, you know, that's the same thing with those guys. You just Lamar and Josh and Burrow, and you know, those guys are amazing. And any team would want those, and those franchises are happy as can be that they have them. But here's that guy, and until you beat the man, you're not the man. And they have to go in there and do it. And Patrick just has a stranglehold on a rarefied air of he's competing with Brady as far as, you know, just being the greatest. And, you know, it, it just takes once. And this was the year they looked like they were vulnerable, right? They're on the mid stretch. Like this team is bad. <laughs> they can't get out of their own way and dropping balls and penalties. And then all of a sudden they, they straighten it out because of the greatness of Mahomes. And now here they are again with a chance to win it again. So, yeah, it really is the the margin for error and the opportunities for winning a Super Bowl is so, so slim. People think it's so easy, but, I mean, it is so hard to do, and it takes luck. It takes flukes. It takes breaks. It takes bounces, and it takes everything working together. So, you know, it's just got to come together for one of those teams at some point. The Brock Purdy storyline continues to be one of the more fascinating ones. I mean, I think he's going to be just like the second Mr. Irrelevant to even be in uh, with a Super Bowl winning team uh, after Ryan Suckup back with the Bucks in 2020. Um, and maybe he'll get MVP, right? It's different when you're a quarterback. You're going to get more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I can't tell if Brock Purdy has shifted my idea of how I think you can get to a Super Bowl or if he's just so much better than than people are giving him credit for. How do you see the entire thing in terms of um, maybe changing the conversation about how you build a team and how you invest in your quarterback? Well, you, you, he has to play well, you know, and that's the thing that Brock Purdy plays well. And it's it's. It, the thing with him is just he's been overlooked at every level. He was right. an amazing high school player and got overlooked at the college level. I know the, the guy, uh, the recruiting coordinator at Syracuse, that first offered him his first scholarship. He's like, I cannot believe people are missing on this guy. You know, he's from Arizona, got overlooked because he was little. Okay, now on the college level, he just does amazing things at Iowa State. You know, plays, you know, starts 46 games and all Big 12 three times and all that. You know, that got thrown out the window. It got overlooked again on the on the NFL level because of the size and oh, this guy doesn't have a great arm. And the things he's really good at, the anticipation, the timing, the vision. Uh, and then he's got playmaking, too. You know, but as you saw in this playoff run where they got down and he made plays and he, with his legs and movement and all that. So all of this kind of keeps getting dismissed with Brock like, as if he's some bum. And they're just he's just in there just running the, the offense. But he makes plays. And he runs the offense efficiently, but then he makes plays when called upon. And on the flip side of, you know, until guys prove it, until he shows he can't do it, then it's not a, it's a, it's bizarre why people keep asking, can he do it? Cause you see what he keeps right, doing right. week in and week out. So 
Uh, yeah, he, he now maybe Sunday he he falls apart and the Kansas City Chiefs defense gets after him. But up to this point, there's enough evidence to look at Brock Purdy and say, you know, this guy's a baller. He's not just a product of of, a, of an offense. Mark, here in Seattle, head coach Mike McDonald's going to have a couple of decisions to make pretty soon once the season ends. Uh, there's a decision to be made on Geno Smith on February 16th about his guarantees. And then probably later in the offseason, we're going to hear maybe something about Jamal Adams, whether or not he comes back to Seattle or the Seahawks decide to move on from him. I think we've had you on in the past, and, and you were uh, very adamant that the Seahawks should not give Jamal Adams the extension that they gave him. Uh, I want to know from you first, I mean, what did you see then that made you have that stance? And now, I mean, do you kind of feel vindicated after what we've seen from Adams over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, I've never, you know, NFL is not for long, short lived. You could be right or wrong each day. But it, to me, it was clear that, you know, guys like Jamal, and I love the way he plays, you know, but you have to not fall in love with the way guys play and see what they really do. And for him, he was just so limited in his skill set in today's NFL. And, you know, for a guy that size to just really be a box guy that has to come forward, that's when he's at his best, that this doesn't play well. And when you've seen him in coverage and you've seen him back there, and it's it's not pretty, let's just say. So when you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, what is his value? You know, you're questioning the value, and then to pay him a ton of money or give up all these draft picks for that sort of skill set, I just think there's been a lot of mistakes made with Jamal and thinking he can do more than what he really can instead of just looking and saying, no, he actually just can't do it. So – uh, some of those guys are just very clear to see when I look at them. And he was one of those guys. And in college, you lo- again, he loved the way he played in college. You know, for the stretch there with the Jets, he loved the way he played. But there, to me, he had a very definitive skill set that he has to play that way. And for him, it just doesn't play well. He doesn't last long. You know, he jumps out there this year, he plays in what, third play. He knocks himself out of the game or something. So it's just tough for guys like that to, to really make it in the league now. And in particular, to get a ton of money, I just can't see doing that. Hey, speaking of Mike McDonald, what did you make of Seattle's hire? Oh, I loved it. I thought they pulled a nice little coup there from Washington. It seemed like he was going there after they got spurned by Ben Johnson and swept in there. And, you know, he was my coordinator of the year. You know, Jim Schwartz did an outstanding job there with Cleveland, but he had Miles Garrett there. And um, with, you know, you know with, with what he did there with Baltimore and the way they, they play this year, I mean, they're just shutting people down and, even last week against Mahomes, two weeks ago against Mahomes, you know, they shut Mahomes down in the second half. The guy didn't score a point, you know, for him to right. do that. You know, that just says a lot about how he coaches and what he can do. Now, it's obviously a huge step going from a coordinator, a great coordinator to a head coach. And he has to prove that, but I like his makeup. I like the way he carries himself. And he looks like the type, he talks like the type, he feels like the type that'll be able to, to make that step. Mark, you mentioned how Washington had their eyes set on Mike McDonald at one point in the coaching search. Seattle swooped in last second, uh, up their offer for him, and he ends up here in Seattle. You've been in front offices uh, for your career, and I want to know from you, like, how dirty does do things get in a coaching <laughs> search scenario? Sure, because details. because just the details that have kind of trickled out between the Commanders and the Seahawks when they were jockeying for Mike McDonald, it feels like you know there's a lot of of movement in the dark before these things uh, become public. Yeah, you're setting this thing up for a while, right? And you know, he he was a guy that was on most teams' radar throughout you know half the season or whatever. No, their openings are coming, so it wasn't as if you know, he lost that game. They lost the game against KC. He's like, oh, let's go get this guy. You know, they're, you're planning and plotting and 
talking to his agent and doing all those sort of things behind the scenes. And if you got your guy and you know who your guy is, then you just do everything. It's almost like and with free agency with players where you know you got it, your, your eye set on a player, you're going to do all you can to go get that guy. And it wasn't as if, well, here's a, a, our pool of four coaches we'll be happy with and we'll take any one of these guys. Yeah, obviously, Seattle wanted that guy. <laughs> they, yeah. did, they did all they could to get him, and, and that's the mindset that you have to have. Now, whether he turns out to be a great coach or not, that remains to be seen. But the process is he's our guy. We're going to do all we can to get him, just like a star for Egypt. He's our guy. we got to go get that guy. He is NFL Network analyst Mark Ross, kind enough to join us in a very busy week ahead of the Super Bowl on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Thanks so much, Mark. We Thanks, appreciate Mark. your time. Sure thing. My pleasure. All right, let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Stacey, during our interview with Mark Ross, we had some breaking news on the Seahawks offensive coordinator search. What do we need to know? All right, from Pete Thamel, Ohio State expected to target UCLA head coach Chip Kelly as the school's next offensive coordinator. He says a deal could come together as soon as today. UCLA, meanwhile, has been made aware of Chip Kelly's potential departure, planning a national search for a replacement. Sounds like Chip Kelly not going to be Seahawks OC. Yeah, that uh, th- that was a nice 48 hours or so when that possibility was there. But yeah, the Seahawks offensive coordinator search now is down to at least publicly Tanner Engstrand, I think, is the only person confirmed to have like met with the Seahawks. There's Eric Bieniemy's name out there because he's not with the commanders anymore. There's a lot of unknown right now with the Seahawks offensive coordinator search. Yeah, and I think that uh, we went from assuming it would be maybe one of the head coaching candidates they were looking at, the Giants block Mike Kafka. Uh, You think maybe it'll be this young, exciting name. Ryan Grubb speaks at an Alabama signing event. Uh, And then you think it'll be Chip Kelly, maybe someone who's been there before, and he goes to Ohio State. I wonder if, and maybe this shouldn't have been surprising all along for a rookie head coach, we're going to hear from a name that we just didn't know before. Yeah, and Mike McDonald, uh, you kind of wonder, like, him not coming from the offensive side of the ball, if a going with an unknown name is better or going with a proven commodity is better, that OC job. What I'm still hung up on, Stacy, with this, is you had a head coach at a Big Ten school in UCLA say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to be a coordinator at another Big Ten school. Mm-hmm. This feels unprecedented. It's just very weird. It's very, um, I mean, I was listening to Brock talk about it earlier. He talked about the difficulties when it comes to recruiting. So even though you're still in the Chip's Big never Ten. never been even a recruiter. Though, exactly. Even though you're in California, technically it is going to be tougher to recruit to UCLA than it would be, well, obviously to Ohio State. So it makes it a little bit easier. Second down. All right, Stacy. what is one thing that each of the Chiefs and 49ers struggled with right, in the we, regular season? We know what both are great with, and it's kind of hard to find weaknesses. I found that especially difficult for San Francisco, but let's take a look. For Kansas City, offensively, they led the league in drop passes. That's a stat that many of you guys know. They, meanwhile, had the fewest points per game since 2014. That hasn't stopped them from getting to a Super Bowl, and I can never bet against Patrick Mahomes. So let's move over to the defensive side of things. Defense is the strength, particularly a very young secondary. It's what 
has gotten them to the Super Bowl. We're not used to this narrative. But even then, like any unit in the NFL, they have some weak spots, particularly against the run. They've allowed 112 rushing yards per game. It's not the worst, but it's not the best. It's middle of the league. They don't allow teams to convert on those yards too often into points, that is. They were second in scoring. So it's kind of like that bend but don't break thing when it comes to rushing, though. Uh, but they can give up yardage on the ground. And if you're the 49ers, you're kind of licking your chops with your two back sets going, oh, I think I can convert some of those rushing yards into touchdowns. Let's look at San Francisco. Their offense feels absolutely impossible to beat, but go figure a stat that will surprise no one in a well-duh moment. They lose when they turn the ball over. <laughs> it was <laughs> the common denominator in that stretch of three losses earlier this season. When Brock Purdy turns the ball over and, uh, you know, kind of hands the game over himself, they just usually can't bounce back from that. Uh, also worth noting, they've given up over 100 yards on the ground in four of their last five. So they have been better against the run overall than Kansas City, but they've fallen uh, prey to that, even though they've won uh, a little bit more recently. Third down. Stacey, we will see who becomes Super Bowl MVP on Sunday, but who has been the MVP for each of these teams during the playoffs? So I think I have a controversial decision for both. Uh, for the Chiefs, I know that people look at Lejerry Sneed. I know that people look at Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I know people look at defensively, uh, really any one of their players, uh, specifically in the secondary or even uh, like a Chris Jones type dude. But I, maybe I'm falling victim to the popular narrative. I'm going with Travis Kelsey. I really am. I mean, over the past three games, and only one of those, he goes over 100 receiving yards, but it doesn't even matter. 71 yards, 75 yards, 116 yards with three touchdowns over three games. I think that with the weaknesses they have elsewhere in their pass catcher unit, I have to go with Travis Kelsey for Kansas City. I think he's going to be the biggest factor for them outside of Mahomes in this one offensively. Uh, for the 49ers, yeah, I'm going to go Christian McCaffrey. A lot of choices with this one. They've had some really outstanding play. You could have done Brock Purdy even, um, but at least 90 yards and two touchdowns in each of his last two games. I got to go with Christian. Fourth down. Stacey, what is the delicate balancing act that every NFL owner, every team's NFL owner needs? So I found myself thinking about this yesterday, and it's less of a, you know, like statistical proof, a quantifiable thing, and, um, and more about how not difficult it is to be an NFL owner, how difficult it is not to meddle and to affect your team. Uh, so this was inspired by Jets owner Woody Johnson, who last night at NFL Honors was asked about his team. And Woody Johnson was not happy. And granted, if you're a Jets fan, you want that. Like, think of how many times we've heard Mariners fans going, happy? you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Think of how many times we've heard Mariners fans going, I just want to hear from John Stanton that he wants to win. I just want to hear that he's upset. I just want to hear whatever. So on the flip side, if you're quiet and you don't say much of anything, fans will still be upset. But Woody Johnson, I felt like, was stepping into the Jerry Jones territory just a little bit mm -hmm. of, all right, you want to make it clear you're upset. You want to make it clear that you want to win. When does that pressure from you start to affect your team? Because when I look at the Dallas Cowboys, yeah, I think there are coaching questions. And, you know, I think there are questions about how clutch Dak Prescott can be in the playoffs. And it's not just Jerry Jones. But I do think, in my opinion, that the pressure Jerry Jones puts on his organization and the pressure those players feel does play into their lack of success in the postseason. With the Jets, they aren't facing that same stretch of success. But I wonder what kind of effect it'll have to have Woody Johnson say something like, yeah, I'm the maddest I've ever been. Robert Sala needs to focus on offense, 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 saying that losing Aaron Rodgers was like getting his arm cut off and making it very clear they didn't have a backup, a.k.a. 
zero faith in Zach Wilson. <laughs> they're going to trade him. Like, just a really not a vote of confidence no. from your owner. That kind of speaks to just the level of dysfunction in the Jets organization. It's probably from the top down. If your owner is coming out and saying all this stuff and talking ill of his players the way he, he did last night uh, at the NFL Honors stuff, it's like, man, I would hate for, uh, if I was an NFL player, from the guy at the very top basically pointing at me yeah. and saying, we got to be better than this guy. Like I get that Zach Wilson had a really bad year and you know, there were, there was that report that he maybe didn't want to go back into the starting role for the mm -hmm. jets after he had already been benched, but like, God, like it's tough. He's already been dragged through the mud. Exactly. I would have left Zach Wilson out of that one. You already know you're trading him. You already know it was a yeah. mistake and you don't really need to take a shot, but whatever. He's a billionaire. He can say what he wants. It just makes me wonder like the effect overall of owners on their teams, looking at the commanders, looking at the, uh, the Chicago Bears, uh, especially with that Trubisky pick, looking at the Jets, looking at the Dallas Cowboys. Like, it's hard not to look at organizations, and even though the owners aren't playing, to wonder. You want some breaking I'm, news? So I knew that this was going to be breaking news when you started doing the hand signal, and I was so upset. Yeah, Curtis, go ahead, get the promo. Well, you can have it. No. What, is it an OC hire? It's a defensive coordinator hire you for know what? your Seattle Seahawks. I want you to take this one, Matt. Can we dim the music, please? Tom Pelissero of NFL Network is reporting the Seahawks plan to hire Aiden Durd as their defensive coordinator. Stop right now. He's from, yeah, he's born in England, played in NFL Europe, uh, 44 years old. He takes a big role on Mike McDonald's staff in Seattle, comes from the Cowboys organization. Matt, please hit the cut of, if you when you find it, interrupt me with it, of Aiden. Okay, two minutes, third down, game's on the f***ing line. That's your new defensive coordinator. That's the one. Um, now, I uh, am not mad at all with hiring from the Dallas Cowboys defensive coaching staff. That has been a phenomenal defense for the last uh, several years, finishing uh, always top 10, uh, last uh, top five more recently in points and yards. Yes, they have amazing personnel, but you want to bring someone in from the outside who's been working with a great unit, even if they have Demarcus Lawrence, even if they have Mark Micah Parsons, and say, what can you do with these guys? You have two great defensive minds, three, including Leslie Frazier, coming in to help this defense I've never been more excited about what a Seahawks defense can look like just I mean less than a year from now than to have these three minds uh Aiden Durd obviously uh younger not with the experience Leslie Frazier has not with the resume that Mike McDonald has but that's why he's coming in as defensive coordinator and not head coach or assistant head coach I also like the idea of borrowing from the Dallas Cowboys without actually making Dan Quinn your head coach how interesting. Within the last 10 minutes or so, we've saw big breaking news on the offensive coordinator hire side uh, with Chip Kelly going to Ohio State, not coming to Seattle, and the Seahawks making a defensive coordinator hire or planning to make a defensive coordinator hire with Aiden Durd from the Dallas Cowboys organization. I'm excited to see what this This is a young defensive staff now. Yeah. You've got 44-year-old D coordinator and a 36-year-old head coach. I think that also is why Leslie Frazier is there kind exactly. of as a sounding board for both guys. Frazier has been a defensive coordinator. He's been a head coach at a lot of different stops in, in his career. Uh, I really like the defensive staff that the Seahawks are putting together. I absolutely agree. Uh, they, they did retain um, – uh, one uh, defensive staff member from Carroll, but otherwise are bringing in a lot of new eyes, ears, voices. Uh, I also wonder with Chip Kelly going to Ohio State, as you mentioned earlier, 
do we see a young offensive coordinator, whether it's Tanner Ingstrad coming over as the Detroit uh, passing game coordinator? I mean, I think you're going to have a very inexperienced coaching staff but also a really innovative coaching staff. And we'll see how that ends up uh, carrying out. So we're going to react a little bit more to the defensive coordinator hire for the Seahawks. You want to hit that breaking news one more time, Curtis? Tom Pelissero <laughs> of NFL Network reporting the Seahawks plan to hire Aiden Dirt as their defensive coordinator. Dirt board in England. He played in NFL Europe and also uh, was a member of Mike McCarthy's coaching staff in Dallas, now a member of Mike McDonald's staff in Seattle. So we will see if we can get just a bit more reaction from that one, as well as take a look around the rest of the league. Drew Brees with some interesting things to say about Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. That's coming your way next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. Here's the deal. Uh, we did have some breaking news, uh, and Curtis and I fought over it, but I agreed to be generous. I botched the pronunciation of his name. I was a generous older sister type and shared, but uh, we'll dim the music a little bit because we did get the pronunciation of, now, the, of the name. No, 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 Curtis, I insist. You take it. I, you, you do it. You have to tell people so that if they're just joining, they know the news. Breaking news within the last couple minutes. Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network reporting the Seahawks plan to hire Auden Durde. Did I get it right? (laughs) I think you did. Okay, let's let's try it again. Okay, here we go. Tom (laughs) Pelissero. This is specifically for the... Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network reporting the Seahawks plan to hire Auden Durde as their new defensive coordinator. Durde, the defensive line coach for the Dallas Cowboys, joins Mike McDonald's staff in Seattle, only 44 years of age. Darren, if you're listening, make that cut. Make, <laughs> make that cut for a promo, Darren. Uh, all right. You so, get the name so, right. Again, some uh, some breaking news. And we can turn the music back up. Uh, uh, some uh, breaking news, a new defensive uh, coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, we'll react just a little bit more um, to to this breaking news before we get to the rest of the timeline. The first full-time British coach in the NFL, as Curtis mentioned, just 44 years old. And as I mentioned, as we closed out the last segment when the news broke, I am very okay with taking someone from the Dallas Cowboys coaching staff. That is a phenomenal defense. I know they underperformed in their final game of the season, but I don't blame a defensive line coach or, for that matter, a defensive coordinator uh, when I look at the entirety of what they did this year. I was intrigued enough by Dallas's defense to want uh, someone from that group, but mm-hmm. I didn't feel convinced to have Dan Quinn as head coach. So I like that they still get a dig into someone who coached up a really good group without committing to him as a head coach. Yeah, I'm looking at you know just the talent that is on Dallas's defensive line. You've got Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons. I mean, maybe the the best pass rushing duo in the league in terms of talent. So. Uh, that guy has worked specifically with those guys over the last three seasons. I believe 2021 was Parsons's rookie season. So uh, Durde has really had uh, his fingerprints all over that Cowboys defensive line, which has been one of the better ones in the NFL. Like you said, Stacy hiring from the Cowboys defensive side of the ball. That's that seems like a pretty good move at this point. Because uh, I mean, look, the Cowboys have had their fair share of playoff struggles. Whatever. But you cannot deny the level of talent that is on that defense. I don't think it's been the no. defense's fault. I mean, outside of this Packers game when they allowed it was 48 horrible. points. It was horrible. Um, but a big reason why the Cowboys have had back-to-back-to-back 12-win seasons is because of that defense. Exactly. And important to note. Okay, two minutes, third down. Game's on the f- line. 
He's British. The, uh, <laughs> With a heavy British accent. Our company can under no circumstances let Bump and I interview him. It will be the most unprofessional interview. We'd, Hello, Aden. He's going to be so offended. I'm, I'm from Essex. Yeah, hey, I think your defensive coordinator, he's going to be just incredibly offended, will tell us to leave immediately, and I hope we get this interview. I can't wait for it. No, I'm, I'm really excited. I think this is a I fun hire. I like that it's a young coaching staff. There are plenty of question marks, plenty for them to prove, but I don't know. It's, sometimes it's nice to just try something new, and I feel like that's exactly what John Schneider is doing with this Seahawks squad. I cannot wait to see what the defense can do in 2024. Let's move on to the rest of the stories in the timeline. First up, Count Drew Brees, among those who didn't see the pairing of Russell Wilson and Sean Payton working in Denver. Look, it, it kind of it kind of played out the way I thought it would, honestly. Look, I think Russell has a skill set, and I think Russell is still going to be able to go and have a great you know, rest of his career right. um, elsewhere. As I watched them play this year, it, it didn't feel like the timing, the rhythm, the tempo was that I'm used to seeing right. in, a, in a Sean Payton offense. Right. And I know those are the hallmarks of the offense. That's the standard that, that has been set. Right. And so, look, I don't know the inner workings. I don't know what's happened behind the scenes or anything else. But I know that, look, they, they've got a talented roster. Yeah. They'll continue to build that. They've got an ownership group that's going to provide whatever resources they need for Sean Payton to, right. to win. And I know this. Sean is an excellent communicator, and he is an excellent orchestrator of, right. like, here's what we need to win. Here's the culture. Here's the standard of excellence. Yep. And now it's plugging the pieces in place yeah. to get that done. Not Interesting. Surprised. Yeah. Because I think so many people are like, oh, this is a match made in heaven. Like, Russell Wilson has always wanted to play for Sean Payton, and Sean Payton wouldn't have come back to the NFL if he were starting over from from scratch with a rookie quarterback. Uh, it was like putting oil and vinegar together. Like, Sean Payton from day one, it felt like had it out for Russell Wilson and yes. was like, I'm going to break this guy down to the point where, like, he doesn't want to be here anymore and I don't want him here anymore. I, yeah, I don't necessarily feel bad for Russell Wilson. Like, he's a right. millionaire. He's living out his life. He wanted to go to Denver, all of that. But there is a little bit of empathy, like a little empathy chip that's triggered in me when I think about the fact that he idolized Drew Brees, mm -hmm. that he always wanted to kind of go that same route, that he sees a chance to work with one of his favorite players former head coaches and thinks, oh, my God, like, what a great opportunity. And that coach clearly does not like him. And right. it clearly from the jump is a bad idea. And worth noting, uh, Drew Brees knew Russell Wilson. Like, they had trained together. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's watching from afar going, yeah, I didn't think they'd mesh. He knows both men. And he knew going into this they would maybe not get along. Yeah, I wonder if Sean Payton ever consulted Drew Brees in making the decision to go to Denver and – kind of like, hey, Drew, what do you think about this? Like, you know, Russ, do, do you think this is something that's going to, uh, you know, hold me back from from winning in Denver? And I I wonder if Drew was kind of like the friend that was kind of like, you know, I'm not going to tell you exactly what you need to hear because it sounds like your mind's already made up, but I'm he probably leveled some concerns his way, but I think Peyton was going to take this Denver job regardless because of the money that the Walton family was throwing at him. Like, it was it was impossible for Sean Payton to turn down that offer to to come back to the NFL. A story that Curtis cannot wait to talk about. He's been talking about it all morning, and now I got to tell you guys about it. A radio station is on standby. Uh, this story from the New York Post, by the way. Um, after um, thieves made off with a 200-foot radio tower, <laughs> a radio station in Alabama, WJLX, does not know where their radio tower went. 
I cannot stress enough how, how weird this missing? story is. I don't know. You guys, this is not like, oh, someone stole their car. Someone's, they stole a radio tower. It's 200, 200 feet, feet tall. <laughs> Where did it go? What's happening? I've never, I mean, I do I believe it? Yeah, I think I believe in aliens. Um, do I think aliens took this? No, but it does make you question. How do you get it out of wherever it was planted into <laughs> the ground, know. first off? And then, like, you've got to put it on, a, like, a flatbed truck, right? And, and you got to take it in, in I don't pieces. Even think, yeah, that's the, that's the thing is, like, you. it's 200 feet. You aren't taking this uh, do you tip it down over? and, like. You, How do you take it down without a crane? I don't know. Curtis, that's why I said it's an alien kind of thing. Like, I don't know what aliens would want with a radio tower. I assume they have their own advanced technology and they don't need ours. Um, But I'm struggling to... This isn't crop circle territory to me. I'm struggling to figure out where this radio tower went and who took it and why. And until I have answers, until I have answers, that's what I'm settling on. 200 feet. Like, I, I don't know if people can, like, wrap their mind around, like, how tall that is. When you're driving in uh, to Seattle, you see radio towers like up in the hills. Those things are massive. I know. The 360, it unbolts from the pad and then disassembles. It's not an alien. Okay, well, I'm giving your number to the cops because it yeah, sounds wow. like you're sounds from like out. Sounds like you've taken, like you've a, taken radio a radio tower, tower before. Tower, yeah. uh, I'm going to be uh, alerting our uh, team here to watch out for you, 360. Exactly. Also, <laughs> a couple people giving you a hard time, Curtis, because you said it's like oil and vinegar, and they, they're saying those go great together on they salad. They do. <laughs> Oil and water, water, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, the popular opinion is that people took it for scrap metal, and I understand that. However, there are so many other things you can take for scrap metal, right? Yeah. But but you're not going to get as much scrap metal from any old thing than you would from a 200-foot radio tower. Yeah, and I also just, if someone was on substances, would they be able to take down a 200-foot radio tower? Look, there are some probably incredible feats of strength people can pull when they are <laughs> not in their proper state of mind. Time for the IRG injury report brought to you by IRG Physical and Hand Therapy. Chiefs all pro guard. Joe Tooney is a long shot to play on Sunday Super Bowl. So not only is Patrick Mahomes on one of the weaker offenses he's been part of, he's going to be short of starting offensive linemen. You're listening to Bump and Stacy Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus. Here's why you should absolutely expect the Seahawks to hire an OC next week. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. I like this take from John Boyle. I'm way late to it before we get to the OC stuff. Uh, Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus. Curtis, I'm way late to this take. John tweeted it 11 hours ago. But um, it was wow. when Kevin Stefanski won Coach of the Year. And I would have loved to see D'Amico Ryans win. I think Stefanski was deserving. Um, but it was interesting. John Boyle, who writes for the Seahawks, said... Nothing against Stefanski, but him having two Coach of the Year awards with two winning seasons, no division titles in four years, when Pete Carroll through four seasons had two division titles, three playoff berths, and a Super Bowl title with no awards is ridiculous. And every single time I think of how uh, neither Pete Carroll nor John Schneider have won any awards for what they've done is wild. I don't care that you can look at the past couple iterations of Seahawks and go, ah, they made the playoffs once in the last three years. I'm still stuck on 2013, 14, 15 having, and for that matter, uh, 11 having having nothing to show. Yeah, it's it is weird how Pete never won Coach of the Year while he was with the Seahawks, and Schneider never won Executive of the Year or hasn't won Executive of the Year while he's with the Seahawks. But also, I feel like the tenor of that award 
never really does go to the coach of the year because I feel like coach of the year is the one that's hoisting the Lombardi trophy at the end of the year, right? Like they had the best season. Yeah. They were the best coach. It like goes they with got, who did the most with the least? I think so. Yeah. And Stefanski definitely, you know, with five different starting quarterbacks, you could make that argument that he did the most with the least or it's, or it goes to the coach who had the biggest turnaround from the year prior, which is why D'Amico Ryans, I think would be, uh, you know, basically tied with Stefanski last night. Um, but yeah, Pete, his time here in Seattle ending without a coach of the year award, very surprising, kind especially like in the early part of the Legion of Boom era. I think when they went from a seven win team in 2011 to the 11 win team that nearly made it to the NFC title game before losing to Atlanta. I think that was definitely coach of the year material. Mm -hmm. And then also going from that 11 win team in 2012 to the 13 win Super Bowl champion in 2013. Yeah. That was definitely a season worth uh, potential coach of the year. Remind me who coach of the year was in 2012 and 13. I don't know. Kurt is going to look it up, but if someone else can remind me. Uh, we're uh, jumping into a conversation about Seahawks OC. We know it's not going to be Chip Kelly. Reports from Pete Thamel uh, that Chip Kelly is going to go on as OC uh, under Ryan Day at Ohio State. So he chooses, I'm going to call it a demotion, going from head coach at UCLA, but maybe UCLA just wasn't for him. Maybe he didn't want the recruiting. Maybe he didn't want to do all of that. He's staying in the Big Ten, though going with a much bigger program as OC. Um I can understand the decision, but it obviously leaves a lot of question marks for the Seahawks because we've mm-hmm. kind of been assuming, look, if it's not going to be Ryan Grubb, is it going to be Chip? All of yesterday and the day before, Curtis, we talked about Chip Kelly as a potential OC. That's now off the table, which leaves a lot of names we don't know. And and not just as in, hey, we don't know a lot about Lions passing game coordinator Tanner Ingstrid, but like there are names that they're interested in that we don't know about. Right. And... There could be just this, uh, you know, dark meeting room that the Seahawks have where they've got all these names on the whiteboard. They're like, ha, no one knows that we have uh, this guy's phone number. We're going to give him a call and he's going to be our offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's that's it, it is interesting how kind of secretive this offensive coordinator uh, search has gone. I think the only two names that we know of that have interviewed were Chip Kelly and Tanner Ingstrand. Like, I don't think Eric Bieniemy has has interviewed yet. It, it does sound like there's interest based off of what some NFL insiders have said, mm-hmm. you know, keep an eye out for the enemy as a potential uh, target for the Seahawks. So who knows if that is something that's going to go down since the is a free agent, the Seahawks don't have to make anything public yeah. about who they're interviewing. Um, so it, it's, it's weird how this offensive coordinator search has gone. I'm actually surprised. I had a name in mind for the defensive coordinator search that is not going to come into play now because I thought the Seahawks were waiting for after the Super Bowl defensive line coach for the Chiefs, Joe Cullen, who had coached for a number of years with Mike McDonald in Baltimore from 2016 to 2020 uh, before uh, Cullen left to take the Jags defensive coordinator job under Urban Meyer uh, back in 2021 and then joined the Chiefs as their defensive line coach starting in 2022. That was a name that I had had in mind because it's like, well, we're just two days away from the Super Bowl. Why have the Seahawks not made anything known on the defensive coordinator search? That exactly. name's not in play anymore as we've got uh, the proper pronunciation right here of the Seahawks' new defensive coordinator. It's my pleasure to introduce Adden Durday. Adden Durday. Um, Brady Henderson was on with Brock and Salk this morning with a little more insight into the Seahawks OC search. First, he talks about how the Seahawks typically operate. I have gotten the sense that the Seahawks have kind of preferred to keep a lot of this 
in-house and they haven't wanted a lot of this stuff out. And I do know that there's more names than the ones that have gotten out. And I think partly because they've wanted to keep this stuff hush-hush. So the fact that we haven't heard anything about Ingstram in a while, I don't, I don't necessarily take that as a sign that he's no longer in the mix. Now, he, in fact, thinks that Tanner Ingstrad, who's the passing game coordinator for the Lions, fits what McDonald might want. When I heard Mike McDonald talk at his introductory press conference about, you know, what he's looking for in an offensive coordinator, he said it's a guy who doesn't necessarily have to have NFL play calling experience, but a guy who is going to come in here and, and, quote, build this thing. And so to me, Ingstrad fits the profile of that, like a, a young guy who would be willing to come in here and build something as opposed to an established guy who would want to bring in his own offense. One final reason you should absolutely expect the Seahawks to hire an OC in the next couple days? Well, because by next Friday, a week from today, they're going to have to make a decision on Geno Smith's contract. So, Curtis, what does all of this tell you about their search, if anything? It's going to happen quick because we're a week away from February 16th. They've got to get somebody in here probably within the next few days to not just get them settled and and get their lay of the land, but also you're going to have a say in how this offense moves forward at the most important position on the team. And February 16th, as Brady has pointed out time and time again, uh, when he's on uh, our station, that is a big day uh, to circle on your calendar for the Seahawks. If you want to, you know, take a guess as to who's their quarterback's going to be. I think it's going to be Geno Smith, even if they bring in, you know, an established offensive coordinator, somebody that wants their guy here. I feel like moving on from Geno at this point is is pretty that that's a big risk that I don't think I'd be willing to take right now. I think the best route for finding the Seahawks quarterback of the future is having Geno here and probably drafting somebody, mm-hmm. whether it be in the first round, the third round, what what have you, in this year's draft or maybe next year's draft, because Geno, if he comes back, will be the presumed starter. Uh, you got to get your quarterback of the future at some point. I think that offensive coordinator is going to have a big say in, in who ends up who that ends up being. All right. Well, we found out league MVP, the offensive and defensive rookie of the year, coach of the year, all of that from last night's NFL honors. We also have questions about Geno's future in Seattle, reaction to a new Seahawks DC and a Super Bowl to preview. Robert Turbin's going to join us next to go over it all.